The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 23. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And, being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are already at the eighth day of Christmas, and Epiphany comes this Friday. By next Sunday in our readings, Jesus will already be 30 years old, getting baptized and starting his public ministry. Next Sunday, the questions in the crowds will start and quickly grow into the earnest demand, Who is he? Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? For now, though, he's still a child. A toddler, really. This is one of those very few texts that we have from Jesus' childhood, and it's a very important one. For in these short 11 verses, Matthew reveals three prophecies that are fulfilled in the toddler Jesus, and in doing so, he reveals much about God's plan and grace for you. Our story picks up just after the Magi depart. The wise men have followed the star most of the way. Then they've asked Herod for help to find the newborn king of the Jews. Herod is happy to help, but only so that he can find this baby and have him killed before he becomes a threat. With the help of this wicked ruler, the Magi eventually find Jesus, but being warned in a dream, they don't report his whereabouts to Herod. Angry at being deceived, Herod launches Plan B. He knows that the baby was born in Bethlehem. 
And so he commands that all the male children two years and under be murdered in and around the city. He will not rest until the baby is dead. It's a monstrous crime, which means it's a pretty typical day in the life of Herod. The Lord is a step ahead, however. And so one of his angels appears to Joseph in a dream and says, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Before the next day dawns, the three are on their way to Egypt, and it's a smart choice. Egypt wouldn't welcome Herod's troops on a violent mission, and so there's protection to be found. But that's not why the angel tells Joseph to go to Egypt. There's a much more important reason. Matthew says, This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. We've reached our first prophecy of the text, and it's from Hosea 11, verse 1, which reads, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Note that well. In Hosea, the son is not Jesus. It's the nation of Israel. The Lord begins that chapter by remembering the Exodus, how he sent Moses to lead his people out of Egypt, and collectively in Hosea, he calls them his son. You know, of course, that the son of Hosea 11 was a rebellious son, but God was still the loving father, and he promised that he would redeem his people from their sin. Now, in Matthew, the Redeemer has come, and just like the twelve tribes of old, he lives in Egypt for a while before he returns to the land of his birth, and the Lord declares that now the prophecy applies to him. Out of Egypt I called my son. So now Jesus is the son of Hosea 11. He has come to take Israel's place before God. He has come to take the place of all sinners. He will take up all their sins and appear on the cross as the rebellious son for their sake, suffering the judgment for their iniquity and their rebellion. Remember, because God condemned his beloved son on the cross in your place, he now declares you to be a beloved child. And that's the lesson of this first prophecy. Jesus became flesh to take the place of the rebellious son so that repentant sinners might be redeemed. While Jesus is in Egypt, Herod executes his plan and all the baby boys of Bethlehem are put to death. Herod is an example of sinful humanity at its worst. He uses his power not to serve and to love, but to take the lives of even the most helpless in order to protect and secure himself. This fulfills the second prophecy in our text, says Matthew. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It's a horrible crime. An additional sadness is that too often with this text, God gets the blame instead of Herod, as in, if God knew this was coming, and he most certainly did, 
then why didn't he stop it? This is the problem of evil, and we do not have time to treat it well here. However, I will say this, as reluctant as sinners are to admit that they've done something wrong, they are more than happy to put the blame on others. If God must stand before sinners in judgment, he cannot win because the jury pool is so bad. Sinners are either faulting God for being too restrictive and not letting people commit the sins that they want to commit, or else they are faulting God for being too permissive and letting people commit the sins that they want to commit. God never gets a fair trial among sinners, and it is they who work the evil. While God knew beforehand what Herod would do, yes, God did not cause it. The sin lies with Herod. As for the prophecy from Jeremiah 31, 15, it sounds so mournful in Matthew. In Jeremiah, though, it's just about the only sad verse in a chapter full of hope. In Jeremiah 31, the Lord is promising to restore his people despite their sin and despite their sufferings. The weeping of Jesus is a temporary thing before the Lord redeems his people. Here in our gospel lesson, the effect of the prophecy is this. Behold the wickedness of the world that Herod would destroy so many children to try to kill the one. Yet the one is the promised redeemer who restores what is lost and even raises the dead. Even as Herod seeks to destroy him, the Lord is fulfilling his promise that sin and death and grief will not remain forever. Rachel weeps, but the day is coming when her tears will be no more because the very boy that Herod is trying to kill will conquer death itself. There is an important lesson for you in this prophecy, too. It is easy to say on a normal day that bad things happen, that sinners sin and God is good. But when suffering becomes personal and agonizing, it is just as easy to blame the Lord for the sin and the suffering. It is why, especially on the normal days before such affliction comes, it is so important to affirm daily that the Lord is at work for your good and indeed uses all things for your good. There will be suffering in this life, but it does not mean that God is to blame or that he has forgotten you. He has redeemed you at the cost of his own son. And it is only a matter of time until your tears and your grief are former things that have passed away. Time goes on. The wages of sin is death, and Herod most certainly qualifies. So our text says, He dies, and his son Archelaus takes his place on the throne in Judea. The apple hasn't fallen far from the tree, though, and Joseph fears for the life of Jesus. So, forewarned, he heads north with mother and son, and they settle in Galilee, in the city of Nazareth. This is where we get our third prophecy. Matthew writes, And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. This one is a little different because it's not a direct quote. 
You can't open up the Old Testament and find one prophet, much less more prophets, saying he will be called a Nazarene. We need to do a little bit of math on this one. We know that in the New Testament, it's no great thing to be from Nazareth. Remember in John 1 that Nathanael tells Philip that he has found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Philip's first response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? To be called the Nazarene, then, is an insult. Now, while we don't have any Old Testament prophets calling Jesus a Nazarene, we do have them saying that he will suffer and be derided by the people. In Psalm 22, for instance, they mock and make faces at him. In Isaiah 35, he is despised and rejected by men. That's how it turns out, right? Even though Jesus performs remarkable miracles along the way and demonstrates that he is the almighty Son of God, he is a Savior because he is rejected by men, stricken and smitten by God, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He saves not by his power, but by love and weakness and sacrifice. That's the Savior who's called the Nazarene. Those are the three prophecies in our gospel lesson as Matthew works in Jesus' childhood to prepare us for his work as our Redeemer. Many expect the Messiah to be a second Moses or a mighty conqueror who suffers no wrong, but instead Jesus saves by suffering in the place of the rebellious son. It may seem foolish, but the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. So he has taken your place in judgment and given you his righteousness and grace and life. When it is given to you to suffer either affliction or ridicule for being one of his people, you know that you are simply walking in the footsteps of that Nazarene Jesus who did the same. And you also know this. Jesus' death in place of the rebellious son wasn't the end. He rose again three days later, never to die again. Likewise, as he has joined you to himself, he will raise you up to everlasting life. He himself, the Son of God, has prophesied this about you. Oh, beware the devil's temptations, for he will use every temptation, suffering, and bit of derision to persuade you that a child of God would never encounter such things, so you must not be a child of God. But as Christ suffered these things, so will you. And as he lives, so will you. Jesus, the Christ, has gone to the cross and fulfilled all prophecies to be your Savior, so that you might be sure that salvation is yours. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.